like to think about our own faith. Does that describe my faith? Does that describe your faith? Fully persuaded, unwavering. We want to look at what hinders that level of faith. We want to look at how others have come to that kind of faith. And we want to look at can I have that kind of faith? Let's turn in our Bibles to, to Romans 4. We're uh, picking up part ways through Paul's uh, talking about Abraham's faith. Uh, Abraham was an amazing man. And sometimes I'm not quite sure how to read uh, everything Scripture says about Abraham. Like here in our text, verses uh, verse 20 and 21 go like this. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Now that's, that's saying a lot about Abraham's faith. Um, and we know, we know Abraham's life. Uh, we know how when, when he got in a squeeze and, and he thought that, you know, people are coming after his beautiful wife, that he kind of, you know, would tell little stories about how, well, she really is my sister, which she really was, sort of, uh, but it was deceptive and not really pleasing to God. Was that a stagger? You know, was he wavering there? Uh, I don't know. Uh, in my way of thinking, maybe he did a little, but but here it says that that he didn't waver. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm these are just questions that come to my mind. I'm not disagreeing with Scripture. I'm, I'm sure that uh, that this means exactly what Paul meant it to mean. I'm just not quite sure what Paul meant it to mean. <laughs> You know, when, when it came to this promise that he was going to be the father of many nations, and it wasn't happening. He said, well, here, you know, Eliezer, my, my servant, you know, he, he, would, he could fulfill this promise, which was according to the customs of the day. And God said, no, it's not going to happen that way. And then, you know, then the whole thing with Hagar and, and Ishmael, uh, were, were those wavers? Were they staggering? Was that a staggering? Uh, was he fully persuaded? And, you know, we're, we're not quite sure if he was or not. But then we go to Mount Moriah and he lays his son Isaac on the altar and with full intentions of slitting his throat. And he did not stagger. He did not waver one bit. He was going to do what God had asked him to do. So no matter how you look at it, Abraham was a man of great faith. 
and we can learn a lot from him. Let's begin reading at verse 16. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise which be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Let's just pause there a minute. The father of us all is Paul saying here that Abraham is the father of the believing Jew, and he is the father of the believing Gentile. He is the father of us all. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jew, Gentile, it makes no difference. They're all children of Abraham. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him who before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered not for our offenses, but was raised again for our justification. I read that wrong. Let me read that again. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So what hinders you and I or any other believer from having this strong faith, fully persuaded and unwavering. Well, I think we would see here in in verse 20 that unbelief is what makes one's uh, faith wavering. It says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. To to not believe that God will keep his promise, to not trust God to keep his promise, is is unbelief. And it's detrimental to to our walk with the Lord, to, to being people of of strong, unwavering faith, unbelief. I think another, uh, another hindrance to having great faith is focusing on the problem rather than the God who is the answer. In verse 19, Paul says this about Abraham, and being not weak in faith, He considered not his own body now dead 
And the reality was, his, he was beyond. Him and Sarah were beyond the childbearing years. He was not focusing on the facts, but he was focusing on the God who could do the impossible. I don't know about you, but I like the facts. I mean, don't always like the facts, but, but I, I tend to look at the facts. I'm a kind of like to be a logical person that, that lives in Realville, if you want it said that way. You know, this is just the way it is. And we got to somehow face it. Abraham was looking beyond the way it really was to the God who could supersede what really was and do a miracle. Let's turn our Bibles to to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we have the story of uh, Jesus' disciples being on the Sea of Galilee, and they, uh, they were in a storm, and here comes Jesus walking, walking on the water. I think at this point, they were just, you know, maybe not quite sure who this Jesus was. Uh, obviously, a godly man. They were learning a lot from him. They were committed to him, to follow him. I'm not sure at this point if they were convinced that he was the Messiah. But I think something changed here this, this night in their evaluation of, of who Jesus was. Uh, I mean, walking on the water, that's, that's significant, uh, to say it mildly, particularly in a storm. I mean, it's either way, but it, in a storm it seems to put it to a different level. But here in, in verse 28, we'll pick up the story. Uh, they saw Jesus and he said, be of good cheer. You know, it is I, be not afraid. And then Peter, uh, you know, Peter's an amazing man. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind went but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? We see the picture here of of uh, Peter taking the situation in very quickly. And, you know, this is Jesus. He's walking on water. If he can do it, he can make me do it too. That, he processed a lot there very quickly and very boldly, with great faith, stepped out of the boat into the stormy sea. And, and even, even when he got distracted by the danger of the waves, where, where did he go for help? Did he grab the boat or the ship? No. 
he still cried out to Jesus, save me. You know, Peter's, Peter's faith here is amazing. I, I cringe a little when people get a little too hard on him about looking at the waves. Even, even when he was sinking, he still knew where his help was, come, was coming from. He knew who could help him. It wasn't the boat. It was Jesus was going to, going to save him. But there is the reality that for a short time there, Peter focused on the problem, the danger, the waves, rather than the God who had the, the power to save him. You and I find ourselves in, in those situations where we know our God, we know his power, but we focus on the problem. We focus on the situation at hand and forget that God is the one that has the answer. Let's turn to, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. We have the story here of uh, David and Goliath, uh, a very familiar story. We won't read the whole story, but we'll, we'll read parts of it. Uh, we're thinking of focusing on problems, on the situation, rather than on our God, who has the answer to this situation. At this point in time, it was pretty much down to, to uh, Saul and David and Goliath. The, the three of them are kind of the, the players here at this point. David came to visit his brothers and he uh, assessed the situation quite quickly that here's this giant and he's saying things about Israel and Israel's God that, that are blasphemous. And David can't take this. And he's going to do something about it. And he finds himself before Saul. Let's pick up at verse 31. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, which is Goliath. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, 
and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on the helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, and ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with stays? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of, will give the, carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face on the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine and took with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no word, there was no sword in the hand of David. We'll stop there. We're thinking about what we focus on. Here we have two uh, men of God, Saul and David. And we have this, this giant, this Philistine. What did Saul see? Saul saw a big giant, a big soldier, trained and powerful. What did David see? David saw a big God. A God that could deliver. A God that has delivered in the past and would do it again. You see the difference. Both men claim to to serve God, to worship God, to follow God. But their focus was on very different things. Let's learn. Let's learn from this. And that's how we, you and I, can have a faith that is fully persuaded and unwavering. When we don't get sidetracked, by what 
we're, the problem we're in the middle of or the situation surrounding us, but we focus on the God, the God who has the solution, the God who has the answer to what we are going through. Now, we looked at this inadvertently partly already, but how have others come to this kind of faith? Let's go back to, to Romans chapter 4 and look a little bit again at Abraham. Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 20 again, which is our, our text, one of our text verses. It says this, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. Catch this next phrase. Giving glory to God. How's that? Giving glory to God. Strong in faith. You know, great things happen to God's people when they're strong in faith. But who gets the glory? Don't we kind of like to have a little for ourselves? Wow, that, that turned out good. You know, that, that, really, that really came together. That really worked smoothly. No, God. God gets the glory. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. I think that's one of the keys to to being people that have faith that is fully persuaded and unwavering, we give the glory to God. Verse 19, it says, Abraham was not weak in faith. He considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old. He believed that God could do miracles. People of great faith believe in a God that does miracles. And so many times in life, we really need miracles. That's how each of us came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Redeemer. That was the miracle that started our whole walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, that somehow this sinful human being could be clean and pure before Almighty God and be counted as righteous and holy. That is a miracle. And we all need to realize that is a miracle. That's where it all starts. And that's the first step to being people of great faith that are fully persuaded and unwavering. In verse 21, Abraham being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. If God made a promise, he can keep it. He will keep it. Not only can he, but he will. Are we fully persuaded of that? Do we waver on that at times? Let's go to Daniel chapter 6. Now, there's a lot uh, we could look at in Daniel's life when it comes to uh, faith. Daniel was a man of tremendous faith. Uh, but we'll just 
we'll just pick out uh, two, two stories from here, very familiar stories. In Daniel chapter 6, uh, Darius is, is now the king, and uh, he had a very organized government. He sets up these 120 princes. He has three uh, men in charge, and he's contemplating putting Daniel over this whole realm. And I'm not sure, but I think some of these men were the same men that were back in chapter 2 that Paul, uh, not Paul, Daniel. Daniel saved their lives. You know, the king Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill them all because they couldn't tell him his dream. And Daniel said, well, wait, wait, let's slow down here a little. Give me some time. And and Daniel prays to his God and and uh, he, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego join him and, and he tells the king the dream and, and uh, everyone's lives are saved as, as I understand the story. But here, uh, jealousy has settled in and, and these presidents and princes uh, were trying to figure out a way to do away with Daniel. Let's pick up at at verse 4. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together and established a royal statue and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, listen to this. And now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his window being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. What was Daniel focusing on? As he knelt there to pray, was his mind full of big shaggy lines? Or was his mind full of a big God who created lions. I think it was the latter. I think Daniel was thinking of God. God, you know this situation. God, you made those lines. You can control those lines. I'm not really worried about those lines. Daniel I don't think Daniel knew if God would save him from the lions or not. But what Daniel did know, that he was in God's care. 
He was in God's control, and nothing was going to happen to him out of God's control. And he was content there. The God who made the lions was going to be there with him in the lion's den. You know, it's amazing. I think one of the lessons we can learn from some of these men of faith is when we as God's people focus on God in difficult situations, the people around also pick up that and start focusing on God. Let's just follow Darius a little bit here. Uh, Verse 16. You know, the king was not happy with what he had done to himself. He was rather unhappy. He tried all day to figure a way to get out of what he had just done, but there was no way. And so it says uh, in verse 16, Then the king commanded that they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel. Now I don't know with what degree of faith he said this, but he said it. Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Was he full of faith? I don't know. But he knew something about Daniel's God and Daniel's commitment to his God. Let's go over to uh, to verse 20. You know, uh, King Darius spends all night without sleep. And again, I don't know what level of faith he had, but it was at least worth his time to get up out of bed and go out to the lion's den in the morning and, and call Daniel's name. He had at least that much faith. It says this, And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. And then we go down to verse 26. And the king makes a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. What a shame for you and I as God's people when, when we focus on the problem rather than the God. And it, it pains me to, to see what's happening to, to our churches here in America with, you know, the whole, you know, a number of years ago already and the whole divorce situation and now the homosexuality uh, our church is not taking a stand. You know, we're, we're to be people of God and to be drawing other people's focus on God by standing up for what is true and right. And it works. If we focus on God, they focus on God. It brings, it brings their minds toward him when we are faithful. 
Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, back in, in chapter 3. We all know this story, and we will not read the story. I'll just uh, refer to, to their answer. You know, you know what happened? He put up this image, which I think was a response to the dream of this, this image that wasn't all gold. You know, he, he didn't like that. You know, a gold head, but clay feet, that, that's not a good picture of, of a kingdom. He makes a statue that's all gold, whole way from the toes to the, to the head. And he wants the whole uh, kingdom to, to worship this. And of course, these Hebrews didn't. And, and this really upset him. And he calls them aside and says, hey, what is this? You're not worshiping my image. We'll, we'll give you another chance. And they say, no, we don't really need another chance. You know, we, we worship God. And, and our God can deliver us if he wants to. And if he chooses not to, that really don't make any difference. We're still not going to worship your image. This was a little, you know, this really ruffled uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't, you know, it's one thing to, you know, challenge him, but to, to do it in that way, it was, it made him furious. And so he heats this furnace up seven times hotter. Nebuchadnezzar was focusing on a hot furnace to teach these boys a lesson. Who or what were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego focusing on? They were focusing on a God that created fire, a God that had everything under control, a God that was able to deliver from a hot furnace that would scorch the soldiers and kill them that were throwing them in. It's so important what we focus on, what we dwell on. Another reason why people of faith, uh, why people have come to this level of faith, it's by looking long-term at the final conclusion of things. Uh, Moses, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, God, it's interesting, you know, God puts Daniel into government to carry out his will. God calls Moses out of government and out into the desert to carry out his will. That's, that's an interesting thought that came to me as I was studying this. But Moses, who grew up in the palace, came to a point in time where he started looking long term. He sat down and he started thinking, when I get to where I'm going, where will I be? And I think he concluded he was either going to be Pharaoh or he was going to be a slave in Egypt along with the rest of God's people. And as he, as he weighed the, the grand conclusion of the matter, he chose, you know, being the slave is going to get me where I want to end up. And he chose he chose the people of God to identify with them rather than the wealthy kingdom that he was most likely heir to. If we want to be fully persuaded 
in our faith and unwavering, we have to think long-term. When I get to where I'm going, where will I be? Can you and I have this kind of faith? In, in Romans 4, Paul reminds us that, that this is not just for Abraham. It's for you and I. If we believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, it's for you. It's for me. Jesus told his disciples, if ye have the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Faith, faith in the God of miracles accomplishes things. You know, at times we find ourselves in situations where the facts look pretty daunting. The outcome looks like it will be anything but good. Do we remember God's promises when we get into those kinds of situations? Do we remind ourselves that God works miracles? God works miracles in our hearts, other people's hearts. God works miracles in events around us. And when there is a good solution, who gets the glory? Let's remember to give God, God the glory. Faith that is fully persuaded and not wavering is what each one of us here this morning desires. Let's be aware of unbelief. Let's be aware of the danger of focusing on the problem rather than the God who is the answer. Let's remember our God does the impossible. Let's keep our eyes on him. Let's look at the final conclusion. When I get to where I'm going, where will I be? God honors great faith, and great faith honors God. Let's be people that have the faith, faith that is fully persuaded and unwavering. Shall we have a song?